All right, let's take our Bibles once again and turn over to Matthew chapter number 8. Matthew chapter number 8. And our text tonight will be verses 14 through 17 as we go verse by verse through the book of Matthew. And uh, we have arrived at these three verses, Matthew 8 verses 14 through 17. I'll go ahead and read these uh, verses and then I'll draw your attention to a couple of things that uh, we're going to uh, kind of make the emphasis. Of course, we'll uh, expound the words as they are, but we'll make a bit of an emphasis on one of the phrases here. Uh, Matthew 8, verse 14, And when Jesus was come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she arose and ministered unto them. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah or Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. I want to draw our attention just briefly to that last phrase of that last verse we read in verse 17. Of course, the himself there is referencing the Lord Jesus himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Infirmities and sicknesses, Jesus not only took them, but he bore them or bared them in his own self. Uh, in this text, we have, like we've been seeing, we see this wonderful working of Christ in not only the healing of the sick, but also in the casting out of demons or, of course, evil spirits. Uh, this primarily deals with the healing of uh, Peter's mother-in-law. And then also some others who were sick. We'll see that in a moment. And then the casting out of some who were possessed with the devil. Of course, we understand that Jesus himself, when he would perform these miracles, uh, these miracles were given uh, by the Lord to be a sign. They were to be a sign of who he was. And of course, the more miracles that Jesus did, the more that he went from place to place, the more demons that were cast out, the more his reputation grew. Uh, he became known as this miracle worker, this man who would come. And uh, some, of course, had an acknowledgement that he was this Jesus or he was this, uh, this Savior. Uh, but many were coming to Jesus for simply uh, healing and relief from their illnesses or, uh, in this case, from their illness and their possessions. Uh, we've mentioned this many times over the last few weeks. I imagine that the crowds around Jesus and the biblical uh, accounts give uh, uh, worth and merit to this. Uh, there were many throngs that would follow him, and no doubt most of them uh, were there for the possibility of being healed. Of course, it doesn't appear from Scripture that Jesus healed every single person with every affliction. He didn't seemingly cast out every demon, um, but we do see that he dealt with those who were very sick. Uh, he dealt with those who were sick, who were possessed, and some, even after being healed, uh, didn't respond with grace. They didn't respond in gratefulness. And other cases were so bad that, of course, we read that physicians could not help them. Uh, physicians could not even uh, 
relieve them and certainly could not cure them. Uh, In those cases, uh, all hope would appear to be lost. Uh, If a doctor says we cannot cure you, we cannot help you, uh, certainly a person is has a tendency to become very hopeless. Uh, But we also know that all of us tonight are, as far as the diseases of the body, uh, afflictions, infirmities, sicknesses, uh, we are all uh, susceptible to that. Uh, There is none of us tonight that can say, "I I am not susceptible to weakness. I'm not susceptible to illness. I'm not susceptible to infirmity. As a matter of fact, we've all, all of us in this room, at some point or another in our life, have already been through a time of sickness. We've been through a time of infirmity. And so uh, we know that sicknesses and infirmities come. Uh, but that, that expression about the last verse there, we'll, we'll get to this in more detail later, that Jesus himself took, notice this, our infirmities and bear our sicknesses. Uh, this is uh, really a, a wonderful reminder of uh, support and comfort Uh, that you and I can have tonight. And we, of course, know that the the greatest accomplishment that Jesus did is that he bore our sins. Uh, He took on himself. He who knew no sin took sin upon himself in order to accomplish our salvation. And as I was reading and, you know, I, I usually take a text uh, and I, I, I do a couple different ways. I read the text in a, a very a critical manner in which I am looking for every theological truth. I'm digging for every possible uh, nugget of doctrinal truth that you can dig out of it. I'm trying to wring it completely out, get as much out of it as you can. I'm looking at words. I'm doing cross-references. I'm looking at the other passages that support or uh, tell the same story, uh, which in this case, there are accounts in the book of Mark and the book of Luke that also refer to uh, this same story, especially with regard uh, to the healing of uh, Peter's mother-in-law. But I also do something that I think has been very important for me. Um, I also try to read it in a devotional manner. I try to read it as, as a way of looking at it and saying, okay, uh, look at these words, these words of comfort, these words like uh, bearing and taking our infirmities and bearing our sicknesses. And also realizing that the greatest illness, the greatest sickness that we had is the, the illness and the sickness of sin. And yet it was Christ who, who bore all that. He took upon himself um, all uh, that, that, we, uh, that we needed. And so I come to this, this, this really devotional conclusion in my own mind that uh, just simply says that Jesus in healing the sick and casting out devils gives us a comforting view of who Jesus Christ really is. And there really are uh, really three critical and comforting views I think that we learn about Jesus in dealing with not only the mother-in-law of Peter, but also in how he dealt with the others who were sick and those who were also possessed with devils. So I want to break it down really into three main ideas. Now, these are not your typical 
outline points that are going to be real easy to just write down quickly. So they're, they're more of a, 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 a cross between a doctrinal thought and a devotional thought. They're, 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 they're all in one. So I'll, I'll try to read them through. And again, this is sometimes how I take passages and it helps me. Uh, of course, we need the Spirit to give us understanding, but it helps me to just compartmentalize the thoughts here. So what I want us to look at first of all, is as we think about verses 14 and verses 14 and 15 primarily, I want us to see this principle that, that Jesus Christ in healing diseases and sicknesses teaches us that he was in fact sent by his Father, and because of that sending by the Father, we should only seek remedy for our sicknesses and our infirmities in him. Now again, that's a large, long statement to bring us to this point that when Jesus did these things, he was also teaching his people something about him. Something that was not just a devotional thought, but something very solid doctrinally that Christ's healing of these diseases, and as a result, he had been sent by his Father showing us that this is he in which we should seek remedy for all of our miseries. First and foremost, the misery that sin creates in us. Now notice that this account in Matthew begins with Jesus arriving into Peter's house, verse 14. And when Jesus was come into Peter's house... Now, this particular account doesn't tell us whether he was invited, uh, whether someone told uh, that he needed to come quickly, much like we saw in the story with the centurion, how the centurion came and told the Lord Jesus Christ, my servant lays sick. But he, remember what the centurion said. He said, I'm not even worthy for you to come to my house. But if you will simply speak a word, even from a distance, I know that you can actually cure uh, my servant. So in this particular account in Matthew 8, we do not see whether or not Jesus was actually invited or this was uh, simply uh, him arriving, of course, in his uh, providence. Um, but we, we do see over in Mark chapter number 1, uh, we do see uh, that a little bit different of a uh, description of this. It tells us in verse 29 of Mark 1, it says, And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Mark gives us a little bit of an insight that says this house that Peter uh, lived in uh, was also occupied with by Andrew. And it says, Simon's wife lay mother, uh, mother, wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. And at even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. Now, as we learned last week, this does not indicate a contradiction just because the story has more details. Mark is always, at least in my view, has always been a little bit more detailed. He seems to write with more detail about the circumstance, about the situation. Matthew always seemed to be the one that just kind of gets to the point. But both accounts give us a picture of what had happened. 
So Mark tells us a little bit that they had kind of ushered Jesus to come to the house. And as he comes into the house, he sees, he sees Peter's wife's mother uh, laid and sick of a fever. So Mark 1 tells us that this house was also Andrew's house. These two brothers, of course, it's telling us they live together. Uh, from the context, uh, we, we appear, it appears here that uh, as, as they're being brought into this place, uh, Jesus is being brought with them. And here Christ enters into the picture. And I love the fact that it says that Jesus saw uh, Peter's wife's mother. Uh, that word laid there means to be cast onto the bed or to, uh, to, to, be, uh, to be placed there. Um, now, there's an interesting side note. I'll try not to get too far into the weeds on this. Uh, if, 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 as the Roman Catholic Church suggests, uh, that Peter is uh, the one who essentially is the, 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 was the beginning of the succession of the popes, and we understand that, according to the Catholic Church, that uh, one of the teachings of the Catholic Church is celibacy, correct? And that is part of the, which makes them, gives them their, infa- part of their infallibility. If, if you know anything about the Catholic Church, this is a big deal. The celibacy that the, these popes and these priests were not supposed to be married. Well, if Peter is the very one who was supposed to be the head in the beginning of the church and the Catholic Church claims that, isn't it interesting that Peter had a wife? It's quite fascinating. Peter has a wife. And wouldn't that negate pretty much the whole teaching of what they say is that this celibacy that's supposed to take place, uh, if, if Peter was in fact the first pope, uh, then isn't he, uh, shouldn't any declaration of infallibility end there? Uh, we also understand that, of course, that's the tradition and the teaching of the Catholic Church. Uh, that's not something that, that, of course, we believe. But it's interesting to me that uh, it's, it's indicated very clearly uh, that it tells us that Peter had a wife. I don't, think, I don't think for a second that this is by coincidence. I think this is one of these times in Scripture when someone says, well, Peter was the first pope. You can immediately say, if Peter was the first pope, why did he have a wife? It really undoes a big part of what the Catholic Church stands as being so very important. Again, I won't get too far in the weeds on that, but I found that uh, quite fascinating. It does tell us what her ailment was. She was sick of a fever. Uh, Luke, in his account, uh, doesn't use the same terminology. Sick of a fever, he uses the terms was taken of a fever. Uh, It means to be detained. Um, This this is a fever that was bad enough to uh, make her bedridden. Um, probably indicates to us that it was a very high fever. This, this woman is very, very ill. And, of course, it's not a coincidence that the, it is expressly mentioned uh, that who this woman is. Uh, I think that's a very, very important uh, piece of what's happening here. And so, how does Jesus cure her? Now, remember, this first thought about uh, Christ healing these diseases, teaching us that he was sent by the Father and that we should only seek remedy from him um, in our miseries. Notice how he heals her. Now, the centurion last week, as we saw, he healed that servant with a word. But notice how he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her. So we know sometimes Jesus healed by a word. 
Sometimes he healed by a touch. And sometimes he did both, as he did with the leper. Remember, with the leper, he not only touched, but he did with a touch and a word. Here, all he does is touches her hand. Now, Luke gives a little bit more detail on his account, and he says that he stood over her and reached over her to take her by the hand and lift her up and rebuked the fever. Now, that's the way way Luke says. So again, we've got to be very careful that we don't call these contradictions, but Matthew, as he says, he touched her hand and the fever left. And so we see Jesus had done this many times. When he rebuked the wind and the sea, uh, it was stilled. When Jesus dealt with diseases, when he dealt with infirmities, when he dealt with those possessed of, of demons and devils, all of them, no matter what he did, whether it was by word or whether it was by word and touch or by touch alone, Jesus Christ had full control over every one of these situations. And I think that's an encouraging, really an encouraging thought tonight to know that there is no malady, there's no infirmity, there's no sickness that Jesus Christ, Almighty God, does not have control and power over. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to never be sick. This is not an endorsement of some sort of prosperity, health and wealth gospel. That's not what I'm indicating at all. But I do know this, that there's not an infirmity, there's not a malady, there's not a weakness, there's not anything that's in man that Jesus Christ does not have under his control. That means there's nothing happening to you and I that is beyond his control and beyond his sovereignty. Now, when we get to these demon possessions, you have to remember that God himself is allowing these possessions to take place. These are not demon possessions that are happening without Jesus' knowledge. These illnesses and these possessions, these were all ways in which Jesus was able to manifest, in fact, who he truly was, that he was sent by the Father. Now notice, the touch, he touched her hand and the fever left her. Luke and Mark, I believe, use the expression, it just says it left her, the fever left immediately. Now, if it's not amazing enough that the fever left, I want you to notice, Mary, I want you to notice the mother-in-law's response, and she arose and ministered unto them. Now, if you, if, if you have personally ever had a ragingly high fever, you realize how badly this makes you feel. I mean, oftentimes people say, you just have a fever. If you've ever had a really high fever, we're talking about this is not something that you just get back up. This shows us that this healing was so complete, so perfect, that she gets up and immediately starts ministering to the people in her house. Now, if we've ever gotten over an illness, you know, you don't usually just pop up. Usually you start feeling better and it takes a little bit of time. This woman gets right up and she begins to minister unto them. Now, many commentators I was reading this week uh, made the comment about uh, Peter's uh, mother-in-law that this was, was most likely the evidence of what she was doing prior to her illness. Uh, she was restored right back to what she was doing 
uh, ministering to other people. Now again, we know that most people in common illnesses will be very weak for a period of time, but not this woman. This tells us and shows us what an unbelievable miracle was being wrought upon her. I think sometimes we have this tendency to look at Jesus' miracles, and I think we tend to categorize them, and we say, now this is a really good miracle, and this one's just kind of on the low end. Look, every miracle, every healing that Jesus did is in fact a wonderful miracle work of God. The fact that he could tell a fever to go (laughs) is remarkable, folks. The fact that he could stand on a boat and he could say, peace be still and the winds and the waves stop. The fact that he could heal a centurion servant from a great distance away just by speaking a word. That's where we get back to this thought. What does Jesus want us to see from this? He is, in fact, where we go for all of our miseries, all of our illnesses, all of our sicknesses. And so we see that by, by this woman ministering, uh, I believe this is an expression of gratitude. Now, we don't see her in Matthew say, thank you, Lord, for healing me. We don't see her say, thank you, but we see her ministering, which is an expression of gratitude. No doubt she is expressing gratitude for the mercy that Jesus Christ has shown in removing this illness, this sickness. She rises up and she serves not only the Lord, but those who were with him. It really is a remarkable portion of Scripture. The second thought I want us to see is primarily dealing with verse 16 and is a reminder again about Christ, who has come in the flesh, teaches us his ultimate and complete power over Satan, giving proof of his deity and his messiahship. Christ, by coming in the flesh, teaches us his ultimate and complete power over Satan, giving us proof of his deity and his messiahship. It says there in verse 16, when the evening or the even was come, they brought him brought, they brought to him, that's Christ, many that were possessed with devils. Now, these people who have been possessed with devils were bodies that Satan had been allowed to, through his demons, to enter into. A possession is not something that's going on outside of the providential ordaining hand of God. God is allowing these things to happen in order to show his power even over Satan. Now, when these these demons would possess people, And some of these accounts we read in Scripture, we see that the demon is actually so powerful that it is governing that individual. That individual who's possessed of the demon is acting out based upon what that demon is directing them to do. There were some that were thrown into these very strange symptoms, these strange disorders, like the the young man that was foaming at the mouth and, and the disciples were struggling with, why couldn't we heal this young man? And Jesus said, because this kind of thing could only be done by prayer and fasting. So these demons would, would, would show themselves 
throughout the person who's possessed in many different ways. But folks, don't lose sight of the fact that even the possession of a demon inside an individual is only there by divine permission. We've got to get this out of our mind's eye that that Satan is somehow just one-upping the Lord every once in a while. There is nothing happening outside of God's divine permission. Now, when we understand that, we can never say God has no part of this situation. God, if we believe in God's sovereignty, we believe in God being complete providential in his workings and dealings with man, then we should not look at a situation and say, well, God must not be in that. These demon possessions were some of the greatest illustrations of Jesus demonstrating not only power over Satan, but power over death, power over hell, and power over sin. Because if Jesus could rebuke at the very word a demon, he's already demonstrating the authority that he has, which proves his deity and proves he is exactly what the Old Testament prophets said he would be. He is the Messiah. Notice how he cast them out. It says in verse 16, When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word. That ought to encourage us tonight. It ought to encourage you that the demons flee with just his word. We have this idea that the devil and his demons are getting the upper hand in our world. I would dispute that. I would say that everything we see happening and everything that we see going on, one day what we're going to see happen is we are going to see the final uprising and we're going to see the final putting down in all authority when Jesus Christ puts all of his enemies under his footstool, including every wicked demon that was given divine permission to enter into an individual. There is a teaching moment that Jesus is doing with every one of these. He cast them out just by speaking a word to them. These demons could not stop and consider. They couldn't stop and think about, are we going to leave the person in which we've possessed? The demon, every single demon, including Satan himself, must flee at the word of God. Now you think about that for a minute. They don't, they don't have time to consider. They're not even given the opportunity to consider. He said by his word, demon, that you're possessing that individual out. There was no consideration. By his order, the torment of that demon in that person had to stop. And at the same time, it says that he healed all that were sick. Now, I love the fact that he uses the word all, not that he cured every single person. But what this means is whoever they were, he didn't have respect to persons specifically. He didn't, it doesn't tell us what disease it was. It just says all that were sick. That tells us within that group, there most likely was people who had some of the worst, some of the most stubborn, some of the most incurable disorders, and we don't know their name, we don't know where they came from, but it just says about them, he healed all that were sick. That's a pretty, pretty amazing statement. He healed them all, all different types. And he cured them without the help of medicine. Now again, This is not a knock on the medical profession. 
Every time somebody says that, they think, well, you shouldn't use any. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just telling you that there is nothing that can stand against the word of the Lord. If he says flee to that demon, that demon's got to go. If he says to that illness, illness, you've got to go. It has to go. So Christ teaches us that he has power, ultimate power, complete power over Satan, giving proof of his deity and his messiahship. And then thirdly, verse 17, notice what it says, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Matthew is quoting maybe one of the greatest chapters of the book of Isaiah, which is Isaiah 53. And he's quoting the passage that deals with what it says, especially in Isaiah 53, 4, when it says about Jesus, this promised Messiah, he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. So the third thing I want us to see tonight is Christ teaches us that he has power to heal. He has authority. He has all these things because he himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. We think about all the things that Jesus does and all the things that Jesus was doing. And you know that all of those things hinged on the reality of what Jesus Christ ultimately would do and has done on the cross. Again, Isaiah 53, he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. If you want to turn back to that chapter, we won't read the entirety of it, but I do want to just, again, point out some of these things that make mention of infirmities, makes mention of um, sorrows. And I love, it says there in verse 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed." All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. There aren't many more beautiful portions of Scripture than Isaiah 53. Sadly, it is the most ignored chapter in all the Old Testament for the Jew. They will ignore it. They will say it doesn't exist. Because they cannot argue with who the conclusion, who this has to be. Jesus was described exactly what he would do. He was described as being the one who would come and would bear the iniquities. That phrase that we looked at in our text saying himself took our infirmities, bear our sicknesses. It, 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 the, the, I don't, again, I'm, I'm, I have not studied Hebrew. I'm not saying this as an expert in the Hebrew language. I, I don't even claim to do that. But from the commentators that I read, they said the phrase himself took our infirmities and bare our sickness, sicknesses was extremely agreeable to the Hebrew text, which says he himself took up, took up uh, onto himself voluntarily, freely, as a man who lifts up a burden and takes it on his shoulders. So the Hebrew text even gives it even more uh, emphasis that this man, Jesus, who would come, would take up this burden voluntarily, 
and put it on his shoulders. He would do that with our infirmities, diseases, sicknesses, whether that's sickness of the body or sickness of the soul. And he would bear. That word bear means to carry. It's as a man who carries it, a burden on his back. All those words that were spoken were words that were spoken of the Messiah that would come. Surely, Isaiah says in 53.4, surely he hath borne our griefs. Is it amazing that hundreds of years before Jesus Christ came in human flesh, Isaiah already speaks of it as if it's already done. He hath borne our griefs. It's as if it's already accomplished. It's as already a surety. It's as already that he is going to be so clearly defined as the Messiah that it's already done. Hear this being manifested to us as believers. Our mind, our heart accepts it and it understands that this is certainly can only be talking about Jesus Christ. But imagine this being played out before the mind of the Jew in the day and age in which Jesus was going from place to place healing people. And then ultimately when he goes to the cross and he dies, they are now left without excuse because the prophet Isaiah had so clearly defined and and painted a picture. Here's what this man is going to do so that you'll clearly know he's the Messiah. You You will not be left guessing. Notice that Isaiah primarily designed to point out the most important thing that this Messiah would do would bear the sins of his people. Folks, to this day, at this point and throughout all history, the most important bearing that Jesus Christ did was not physical sickness, physical illness. It was bearing the sins of his people. Isaiah's main purpose in Isaiah 53 was not emphasize the healing of illnesses, the healing of everyday infirmities, but that he's comparing the infirmities and the illnesses as what sin does to the soul. And because these are soul illnesses, Jesus, by bearing the sins of his people in order to make a satisfaction to the Father for them and to save them for himself, it indicates by his way that he cares for his people and he also would fulfill the promise that all that the Father would give him, he would in no wise cast out. Now we see that we know this from Scripture. All bodily illnesses... All infirmities, you realize, are a consequence of sin. You realize if there was no sin in the world, there would be no illnesses. There would be no cancer. There would be no terminal conditions. I had a young man in in fifth grade class last week ask me a question about if there had never been sin, would people ever die? It's an insightful question for a fifth grader. It's a deep question. But the reality is, is sin is the reason that bodily diseases exist. The reason that Peter's mother-in-law had a fever is because of sin. The reason that we have illnesses and the the, the horrible diseases is because of sin. These, These cures that Jesus performed, these signs, these wonders 
were done so that they would be a picture of his bearing upon his own shoulders and taking away sin. But it was also a way of proving that he, if he had the power and the ability to rebuke a demon, if he had the power and the ability to rebuke a fever, to cure a servant of a centurion miles away, he could certainly bear the sins and pay for the sins of his people. That last expression there in verse 17, of course, the infirmities and sicknesses, this is an accomplishment of these Old Testament prophecies. These Old Testament prophecies were the very proofs in which would say this is the Messiah. It's also referred to in 1 Peter 2.4 about he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. 1 Peter 2.24 makes mention of that as well. He hath borne our sins. If he has borne our sins, we can also say confidently that he has borne our sicknesses. He bore our sins in his own body upon the cross. Because sin is both the cause and really what's referred to as the sting of death and the sting of sickness. Folks, every time we're taken with an infirmity, every time we're taken with an illness, it's a reminder of what we really are. Nothing will remind you more of our own depravity, our own sin nature than an illness. It'll remind us this is what we are, but we can take comfort in saying, I know that there is a Savior who has paid for my sins. And yes, I am going to go through this life and I'm going to go through these struggles and I'm going to go through these trials, but ultimately He has redeemed my soul. He's paid for my sin. These proofs that He did were not so people would follow Him as a, a groupie follows a band. And this is, this is the modern theology, and I don't even call it theology, that Jesus is looking for followers to follow Him like a groupies follow a band. That's not my Lord, and that's not the Lord that you want to follow. The reason that all these things are is because we are eternally connected to what He's actually done for us. And that even though I may face illnesses in this life, I also understand that the greatest need I had was I needed my sin to be taken care of. I came across this, this quote from John Gill late in the day. He says, Sins are diseases, and as all men, so God's elect are even attended with them. But being made sensible of them, they come to Christ for healing, and they are perfectly cured by Him. By His stripes and wounds, all their iniquities are forgiven, so that they have no reason to say any more, they are sick. And hence, the Father receives them safe and sound. It's hard to imagine when we know who we are, that when we look in a mirror, it's hard for us to say and realize that Jesus Christ has in fact bore our sins. He's taken care of it. Should I not understand that because of Christ's power that was seen not only in His ability to heal and cast out demons, but the power that He demonstrated in His passion? Should I not see in the power of His humiliation? And should I not see especially in the wounds that Isaiah wrote about? Should I not see in His death 
that that's the very reason that if he could overcome all of those things, is he really not capable of meeting all the needs in my life, including those illnesses? Jesus was compassed and he, was, he, ex, he felt and experienced infirmities. Why? So that he might be able to be a faithful and a merciful high priest. He could have compassion on his people. Listen, the greatest demonstration of Christ's power, the greatest demonstration of Christ's power resides in his humility. Now, you might have to chew on that for a minute. His greatest power is in his humility. Because he, in humility, went to that cross. He rebuked the sea. He rebuked the winds. He rebuked the fever. He raised up Lazarus by speaking his name. And yet, he humbly goes to a cross, allows himself to, be, to die in the place of his people. And shows you the greatest power that Jesus Christ ever had was the power over sin, the power over death, the power over hell. Jesus Christ can be trusted with every aspect of our life. Every aspect of it. But may we learn tonight from the reality that the greatest power that we ought to demonstrate in our life is not seen in how much glory we can attain for ourselves, but rather in our own willingness to humble ourselves and to sacrifice, not for our personal glory, but for the glory of Christ. That's why we glorify God every day, not so that we get the glory, but that that He gets the glory. So that Christ is honored in our life. Christ is honored with how we face and deal with situations in our life. And I don't know, and I'm not going to dogmatically say this, but as far as I know, I don't think we read anything else about Peter's mother-in-law. I don't think it goes on later and gives a big description of what she did and how she went on to do grand things for God. But I think there's something so important in the fact that when she realized the mercy that Jesus Christ had shown towards her, she simply got up and ministered unto them. She did that out of a heart of humility. She did that out of a heart of thanksgiving. She did that because she realized she had been given something that she didn't deserve, nor was she entitled to. That thought from that centurion last week keeps ringing through my mind when he told the Lord, I'm not even worthy for you to come to my house. And I wonder, do we really think about our Lord that way? Do we really, in humility, say, Lord, I am so unworthy to even ask anything of you, but I'm so grateful for your mercy. And I'm so grateful that Jesus Christ himself, he took our infirmities and he bare our sicknesses. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this passage of scripture. And Lord, I know there are many more things we could speak of and there are many more things we could say. But what a powerful description of the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done. Lord, I pray that as only the Holy Spirit can, would just reveal to us the great truths of this scripture and give us understanding and give us wisdom and discernment. Father, again, we thank you for this time that we've had in your word. 
And may it just be an encouragement to our soul this evening. We love you and we thank you. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Let's keep